Every year during that month, the apostle would pray in seclusion and give food to the poor that came to him. And when he completed the month and returned from his seclusion, the month here, by the way, is Ramadan. Uh, first of all, before entering his house, he would go to the Kaaba. You guys remember the Kaaba? We spoke about this last week. And walk around it seven times or as often as it pleased God. Then he would go back to his house until uh, in the year when God sent him in the month of Ramadan, in which God willed concerning him that he willed of his grace. The apostle set forth to Hira, as was his wont, and his family was with him. When it was the night on which God honored him with a mission and showed mercy on his servants thereby, Gabriel brought to him the command of God. This is Gabriel, the angel. He came to me, said the apostle of God, while I was asleep and with a coverlet of brocade whereupon where uh, was some writing and said, read. I said, what shall I read? And so this is a dialogue going on between Gabriel angel and, uh, and Muhammad. He pressed with it so tightly that I thought it was death. Then he let me go and said, read. I said, what shall I read? He pressed me with it again so that I thought it was death. And then he let me go and said, read. I said, what shall I read? He pressed me with it the third time so that I thought it was death and said, read. I said, what then shall I read? And this uh, I said only to deliver myself from him, lest he should do the same to me again. He said, read in the name of thy Lord who created, who created man of blood coagulated, read. Thy Lord is the most beneficent, who taught by the pen, taught that which they knew not unto men. So I read it, and he departed from me. And I awoke from my sleep, and it was as though these words were written on my heart. Now none of, uh, now none of God's creatures was more hateful to man than an ecstatic poet. So uh, if you remember the time of Jahaleya, uh, one of the common themes among uh, Jahaleya is that uh, poetry is really bad. It's very worldly, so... Um, so there's this aversion to poetry. Uh, Woe is me, poet or possessed. Never shall Quraysh say this of me. I will go to the top of the mountain and throw myself down that I might kill myself and, and gain rest. This is what Muhammad is saying. So I went forth to do so. And then when I was midway on the mountain, I heard a voice from heaven saying, Oh, Muhammad, thou art the apostle of God and I am Gabriel. I raised my head towards heaven to see who was speaking. And lo, Gabriel was in the form of a man with feet astride the horizon, saying, O Muhammad, thou art the apostle of God, and I am Gabriel. I stood gazing at him, and that turned me from my purpose. He was, again, seeking to commit suicide. Moving neither forward nor backward, then I began to turn my face away from him. But toward whatever region of the sky I looked, I saw him as before. And I continued standing there, neither advancing nor turning back. Until Hadijah, who is Hadijah? Anybody? Huh? That's right. Yeah, this was the uh, first wife of Muhammad, monogamous for 25 years, correct. Uh, Sent her messengers in search of me, and and they gained the high ground above Mecca, and returned to her while I was standing in the same place. Then he parted from me, and I from him, returning to my family. And I came to Hadijah and sat by her thigh and drew close to her. She said, Oh, Abu al-Qasim, referring to Muhammad, where hast thou been? By God, I sent my messengers in search of thee, and they searched the high ground above Mecca and returned to me. I said to her, Woe is me, poet or possessed. She said, I take refuge in God from that, O Muhammad. God would not treat you thus, since he knows your truthfulness, your great trustworthiness, your fine character, and your kindness. This cannot be, my dear, that you're either a poet or you're possessed. Um, Perhaps you did see something. 
Yes, I did, I said. Then I told her of what I had seen, and she said, Rejoice, O son of my uncle, and be of good heart. Verily, by him in whose hand is Hadijah's soul, I have hoped that thou wilt be the prophet of this people. Then she rose and gathered her garments about her and sent forth to her cousin, Wadaka. Who's Wadaka? Huh? It was a Christian monk, yes, yeah. Uh, so even though it ends with an ah, it's, it's actually a male, but yes, yeah. He was a Christian monk, good. Uh, who had become a Christian and read the scriptures and learned from those who follow the Torah and the gospel. So again, singular gospel. And then she related to him what the apostle of God had told her. Uh, he had seen and heard. Wadaka cried, holy, holy, verily by him in whose hand is Wadaka's soul. If thou hast spoken to me the truth, O Hadijah, there hath come unto him the greatest, Namus, meaning Gabriel, who came to Moses aforetime, and lo, he is the prophet of this people. Bid him of good heart. And uh, so on and so forth. Um, so again, this is from uh, the biography of Muhammad. Um, so I mentioned to you, this is the, um, in, term of, in terms of you know, ranking as far as the importance of the Islamic text. So first is the Quran. Um, second would be the Hadiths, the reported saying of, of Muhammad. Those are if you remember um, the, uh, the vast amount of reported sayings, uh, encyclopedia amount um, of reported sayings of Muhammad. And then third comes the biography of Muhammad, which provides a context um, to the Quran. So, um, so I, 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 if you remember from last week, uh, again, like I said just before I started uh, reading the story, um, I, uh, I mentioned the story uh, from the Quran when we, when we read from the Quran. Um, so I wanted to read that to uh, kind of jog our memories of what we talked about. Uh, last week, uh, because the story can be so bizarre to us, um, I, I'm, it's bizarre to me, I'm assuming it is to you guys as well, um, I wanted to provide just a little bit of commentary before we actually move on, I want to do this super quickly. Um, so Muhammad was terrified of this uh, supernatural encounter, um, so not only was this divine uh, power that he encountered, uh, Gabriel, uh, not only was it unearthly, but it was also violent, so remember, he pressed him, he squeezed him, Muhammad thought he was going to die, um, Second, we're taught that uh, Muhammad sought to commit suicide after this supernatural encounter. So um, this was so unearthly to him, he didn't know what to do with it. Um, that he, um, again, we're told, I'm not saying this, we just read it together from the Islamic sources that Muhammad sought to, um, to throw himself off the mountain. And, uh, and then finally, we learned that Muhammad was dazed and confused, even as he returned back to his home in Mecca. So um, it seemed as if uh, Hadijah and Wadaka, so they both kind of affirmed, like, oh, no, you're not crazy. This is, this is really true. You are the prophet of God. Um, so anyway, that's a little bit of commentary on that story. Again, uh, in previous classes, I never do that. I just start reading whatever it is I want to kind of expose you to and just kind of leave it at that. Um, but because this is a little bit of a bizarre story for us, I wanted to provide some commentary. Um, if, uh, if you missed uh, last week's class, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to it. Um, I had a blast. I, I, I thought it was really, uh, really interesting, and um, I hope you guys did too. Um, what I sought to do last week was to condense the history, um, the, the origins of Islam, and, uh, and talk about Muhammad, obviously, um, and then talk about the authoritative Islamic texts, like I mentioned already. Uh, keep this in mind. This is important. Um, the Quran, Hadiths, and then the biography of Muhammad. Uh, to help jog your memory and uh, to whet your appetite, if you, if you missed last week's class, uh, we talked about Jahileya, so this was where Islam emerged out of. This was the, the ignorance and the darkness that we're told that Islam came out of. Uh, we talked about the Kaaba, so this is the big black um, uh, thing in um, um, 
pilgrimage site in Saudi, modern-day Saudi Arabia and Mecca. And um, we're told that Abraham and Ishmael reportedly built this alongside with Gabriel. So though they were in Mesopotamia and they traveled uh, west towards Palestine for whatever reason, we're told that they traveled way down south all the way in South America, um, even though there's no evidence whatsoever to support that. Uh, we talked about the pagan god Allah and, uh, and his three daughters. So Allah was not the monotheistic god of Islam as we know it today. He was a pagan god, and he had three daughters, Alat, Aluza, and Manat. Uh, we talked about Ma- how Muhammad was deceived by... Yes, Ashley? Just real quick, you said South America. Just one of the three, Oh, okay, yeah. Oh, what did I say? South America. Oh, South America. No, yeah, not South America. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, not South America. Saudi Arabia, thank you. Uh, we talked about how Muhammad was deceived by Satan uh, to include the, uh, the satanic verses. Uh, we talked about Muhammad's uh, raids, his wars, the promises he gave to his warriors, um, his wives, his concubines, his sex slaves, etc. Uh, we did a brief overview, again, of the Quran, the Hadiths, and the biography of Muhammad. So that's what we discussed last week. Again, if you missed it, I encourage you to go back. It was, um, uh, I think it's, it was um, a wealth of information there that, um, what, that was several semesters of um, what I learned and then what I try to condense and 35 minutes or so. Um, One thing I want to go back and touch base on, I just want to kind of underline this point. So Muslims have a vast amount of authoritative Islamic texts. Um, I mentioned that uh, Muslims are, um, in a sense, beggars. And I just wanted to clarify what I meant by that. I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I'm just saying that because there are so many um, because the Muslims have so many texts, so they have the Quran, which is very mystical and confusing. Um, they, they have the Hadiths, which I mentioned. Think of vast amount or large collection of, uh, of encyclopedias and then multiply that by about eight or nine. That's the amount of Hadiths that they have. Um, and then you've got the biography of Muhammad, etc. Then there's, there's more Islamic texts. So when I, when I said that they were beggars, what I mean by that is that um, for the person that is seeking to please God and to enter into paradise, they're beggars in the sense that they don't know where to turn to. They have so many places that they potentially could go to. They're, they're grasping to find out what it is that they need to read or do or, you know, um, what, how to be a good Muslim. So um, all that to say, uh, remember that, uh, that all of our evangelism must be in compassion. And, uh, and everything that we're learning today and last week, you know, this isn't... Uh, this isn't to win religious arguments or, um, you know, I'm not trying to give you guys uh, um, fodder for your can. Did I say that right again? Is that the right term? Okay. Um, so this is, uh, this is to encourage you guys in your faith as Christians and, uh, and also so that you're not afraid of sharing your gospel, your, the gospel with Muslims. Um, so while last week's lecture focused on the history of Islam, uh, what I like today is focus on Islamic um, ideology. Notice I'm not calling it theology. There's a a difference there. I'm calling it ideology. So we're going to talk today about Islamic ideology. We'll talk about the five pillars of Islam. So what most Muslims want you to think of when you think of of Islam, five pillars of Islam. And then I'm going to share some tips on how to share our faith uh, with Muslims. So today's lecture is going to be broken up into three, three different parts.
Um, as we do every week, um, let's go ahead and pray uh, super quickly. I'm going to uh, typically I give you guys about five minutes to pray. Uh, we're going to do it in two minutes because we've got a lot of material. And uh, Nick uh, cut the class short by one week. So um, so anyway, I'm having to kind of condense things a little bit. And uh, while while since I mentioned that um, it's just going to be this class and then we'll have one more class the first uh, week in December and then that, that'll be it for the class. Um, so we're going to wrap up Islam today. So anyway, um, since the beginning of the class, I've uh, asked you guys to pray for three people in your life. So this is somebody that you've been sharing the gospel with or somebody that you'd like to share the gospel with. Um, so again, as we do every week, go ahead and turn your um, chairs around, minding social distancing, and uh, let's go ahead and pray. And again, I'm only going to give you guys two minutes, so I'd encourage you guys not to uh, talk so much, but uh, uh, talk about the three people, but to go ahead and just start jumping into prayer. As I mentioned uh, every week, it's encouraging to see the body of Christ pray. Thank you so much for praying. Let me pray for us real quick before we jump into the lectures here. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for um, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have decided to um, speak to us through your word, and not only uh, your written text, but also through the person of Christ, who is the incarnate word of God. Lord, we thank you uh, for your divine uh, love for us, and we thank you, um, Lord, to, to be able to know you and to share um, this divine love with others. We pray for Muslims around us. We pray that you would um, pour forth your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would convict them of sin, help them, Lord, to see the need for, for their Savior, Jesus Christ, and, um, and we pray that you would make us instruments of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so sub-lecture number one, uh, Islamic um, ideology, and again, um, I'm calling it ideology because I don't feel comfortable calling it theology. Theology is the study of God. So, um, so Islam teaches, and some of what I'm about to mention, by the way, I've kind of, you know, I may have men- mentioned uh, previously, and, and again, because I'm having to condense so much into uh, just one lecture, I'm, it might seem a little sporadic, so j- just bear with me. Uh, this ideology that I want to mention is just um, kind of random tidbits of information that I think is crucial enough that we need to mention, even if it might... Um, seem a little sporadic. Um, but um, Islam teaches that Quran has been frozen um, in time from eternity past, and it's seated at the right hand of Allah. So um, in other words, the Quran has never changed. The scriptures, our scriptures have changed. Uh, we've added three gospels. We've corrupted the text. We, we added, um, you know, the divinity of Christ, for goodness sakes. And, uh, and we committed uh, shirk also by talking about the Trinity and you know inventing this this crazy uh, um, this crazy uh, concept. But um, anyway, that's beside the point. So um, according to um, uh, to Islam, the Quran, contrary to to our scriptures, the Quran has never changed. Um, it's uncorrupted. It's perfect. It's uh, the same Quran today is the same Quran that's always been frozen in time, eternity past, um, seated at the right hand of Allah. Uh, but according, this is what I'm arguing now, according to the authoritative Islamic sources, and again, I'm not saying this, this is, I'm, everything I'm saying, everything I'm arguing, I'm pointing back to the Islamic sources. According to the, the Islamic sources, uh, this can't be true. So I'm going to give you five examples. Um, so example number one, the revelations received by Muhammad were memorized by his companions long before they were written down. Um, so because they were memorized and they were recited by the early Muslims, um, so re- remember that Muhammad was illiterate. He would receive these divine revelations from Gabriel, and then he would say them once or twice to his companions. His companions would memorize them perfectly. 
And uh, this went on for years and years until um, the first Muslims started to die off, and then they realized, hey, we need to write these things down. Um, so anyway, this presents a huge problem um, to the credibility of the Quran. Again, these scriptures were memorized. Um, example number two, um, there was a huge uproar among early Muslims over the proper recitation of the Quran. Um, so in other words, the pronunciation of how you said certain words in the Quran would change the meaning of it. Um, this is still a debate today. Um, so moreover, some, some Muslims included parts of the Quran that others dismissed. So uh, how then should the Quran be written? Um, and what becomes part of the Quran and what gets thrown out? Um, the problem, uh, and I, you know, this, this problem was resolved uh, when uh, Abu, excuse me, Uthman, uh, so he was a caliph, he was a former companion of Muhammad, he took over, he was like the third guy that took over after Muhammad had died. Um, so he gathered all the Qurans, and then he burned them. That's pretty shocking. Um, so uh, because of this uproar among the Ummah, the Muslims, and People were arguing over what's the right Quran, what isn't. Again, he gathered all the, all the Qurans and then he burned them. And, uh, and what was his official copy then became the, uh, the official Quran. So um, anyway, yeah. Uh, and again, this isn't me saying it. This is all from the Islamic text. Um, example number three, we're told frankly that some parts of the Quran have been lost. So this is a quote from an authoritative hadith. Aisha, so this was one of uh, Muhammad's most beloved wives, said... Um, Surah Al-Azhab, so this is a chapter in the Quran, used to be recited at the time of the Prophet with 200 verses. So this is a chapter in the Quran that had 200 verses. But when Uthman wrote out the codices, he was unable to procure more of it than there is, than there is in it today. Only 73 verses. This is me quoting what's written in the authoritative Islamic sources. D- does that, does that uh, make sense? Are you guys letting that kind of sink in? Um, am I making sense? Yes? Okay. Yeah, so, so 200 verses. You're going to have plenty of time for questions. Can I interrupt? Uh, let, me, let me hold. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to forget the question. Okay, write it down or something then. Um, yeah, 200 verses and now uh, only 73. Um, example number four, recall the story about the satanic verses we discussed last week. Um, so again, Muhammad was tempted by Satan to allow idolatry into the Quran. Um, if then the Quran was preserved by Allah and never changed, then why did Muhammad insert these Quranic verses into the Quran? Um, example number five. Uh, so if you recall the story about breastfeeding a grown man, um, so we're told in, the authoritative, uh, in, in an authoritative um, hadith um, that there's a verse about this in the Quran. The problem is it's not in the Quran. It's in the hadiths. So we're told from an authoritative Islamic um, source that this story should be in the Quran, but it's not there. Um, so we're given a story as to why it's not there. So the, the same wife of Muhammad that we just read about, Aisha, um, she, she tells us that, um, and again, I'm not saying this, this is all in the, in the, uh, in, in the authoritative Islamic sources. Um, so this verse about uh, Muhammad allowing a, a grown man to breastfeed and suckle from the wife or from, from a, a woman's breast and to drink the milk. Uh, this Quranic verse was written on a piece of paper. Uh, it was stowed underneath the pillow of Aisha, um, but then a sheep. A sheep came into the house and he ate it. And it's not in the Quran anymore. 
So that's, that's the story we're given. And again, remember, it's not me saying this. This is coming from these Islamic texts. Um, okay, so moving on. Um, so again, shifting gears here. Um, Islam teaches uh, tawhid or strict monotheism. Um, so it's not just that God is one. It's, it's more than that. Um, you cannot associate anything with God. So God is one. God is one. This is a, a common refrain. And as I mentioned last week, um, Islam grounds itself as being um, anti-Trinitarian. It's the only religion in existence where it's grounded, its foundation is what, it, what, it, um, what it's not. So, um, so in my opinion, Islam doesn't do a very good job of teaching what it does believe. It does a better job talking about what it doesn't believe. Um, so negative versus positive. So this is a common refrain in, in the Quran. There is no God but Allah. Uh, Jesus is not the son of God. God has no other partners. Partners. So to say that Allah has a son is, is blasphemy in Islam. Um, it's to bring God uh, down. Uh, he is unique. He is no other. There are no other partners. Uh, even in paradise, God, Allah is distant. So um, it's not how we would think of heaven. There's a difference between heaven and paradise. Remember that. Um, so Tawheed, or the oneness of God, can easily be taken to extremes within Islam. So this permeates all of Islam. So uh, one example of this is how Islam shies away from images. So if you look at, uh, at Islamic art, um, you're not typically going to see pictures of people or, or things even. You're going to see patterns. Beautiful. I mean, I think, I think it's beautiful. Beautiful patterns and colors and very vibrant art. Uh, but there's no pictures of people. So this, this is... Uh, this is kind of where it originates from. You don't want to even come close to associating anything with Allah. Uh, this can also be seen within uh, Islam's uh, repulsion of statues, um, especially drawings of Muhammad. Um, so, I mean, you guys have heard stories before, and um, I think it was France where somebody drew a caricature of Muhammad and somebody came and killed him. So, um, so though Muhammad is exalted within Islam, he's just a man. At the end of the day, he is just a man. They do exalt him, but he's, he's just a man, so, so no drawings of Muhammad. Uh, moving on, uh, there's no guarantee of forgiveness uh, in, in salvation. So quoting an authoritative hadith, uh, Muhammad is reported to have said, quote, this is, this is Muhammad saying, By Allah, though I am the apostle of God, yet I do not know what Allah will do to me. So this is Muhammad's own admission that he is not even sure of his own salvation. And if Muhammad wasn't sure of his own salvation, how can any other Muslim be certain of their salvation? Um, according to Islam, two angels sit on each person's shoulder. Um, one angel writes down all the bad deeds that the person did, and then the other angel on the other side, he writes down all the good deeds that this, that this person has done. And then at the final judgment, the deeds are presented before Allah, and uh, the scale is weighed, and, uh, and then Allah chooses to decide whom he will have mercy on. So it's not just that, you know... A person did more good deeds than bad deeds, even then, it, it all comes down to, to Allah's decision to either have mercy or not have mercy on, on this person. Moving on. Uh, Islam teaches that Jesus was just a mere prophet. So if you talk to any Muslim, they're going to tell you that they have a deep respect for Jesus. Um, according to the Islamic sources, um, Allah spoke to the Jews and Christians uh, through Abraham, Moses, David, and Jesus. Um, yet the Jews and the, Christ and the Christians, again, they corrupted the text and they added to it. So insert Muhammad uh, into the time of Jahileya uh, and then Muhammad arrives on the scene and he presents uh, the Quran, which is, uh, again, uncorruptible. Um, I mentioned uh, last week that Muslims believe that Jesus was entrusted with just one gospel. 
and then we came and added three of them. Um, and um, uh, I already mentioned about Paul and the Trinity and the divinity of Christ, etc. Um, Jesus in the Quran is called Isa. Okay, so this is this is really important. Um, this is not our Jesus. So even though in the Quran there's Jesus, they call this Jesus, the Islamic Jesus, Isa. And, uh, and sadly, uh, there's a growing movement within uh, Christian missionaries today that are adopting this name Isa when they're talking to Muslims. And they're trying to share the gospel with Muslims using this name Isa. And this is really sad. It's bad. Uh, because to the Muslim psyche, using the name Isa for Jesus recalls his manhood, his mere manhood. So yes, Jesus was man. He was fully man. But he was also fully God. Um, and, and to use the name Isa recalls uh, the lack of divinity of Christ to, to a Muslim. And so this is very confusing and this is very misleading uh, for Christians to do. This should be stopped. It's bad. Arab Christians who live in the Middle East would never dare to use the word Isa to refer to our Jesus, to, to, to Jesus Christ. Um, the proper name for Jesus in Arabic is Yeshua. And that's the name that should be used, not Isa. Um, Isa, the Islamic Jesus, was a good Muslim. So I'm going to talk about Isa. and kind of underline why, we should, why nobody, no Christian, should be using the, the term Isa. Um, Isa, the Islamic Jesus, was a good Muslim. Uh, we're told that uh, he was a great prophet, um, but he would never commit shirk. He would never associate himself with God. Um, again, this is blasphemy within Islam. Um, in fact, according to Islamic eschatology, Isa is predicted to come back at the end time and he will, quote, break the cross, kill the swine, and abolish the jizya. So again, he's going to break the cross, kill the swine, and abolish the jizya. Um, so what does this mean? So as a good Muslim, Isa, the Islamic Jesus, he's going to return. And when he returns, he's going to break the cross. So he's going to humiliate Christians for having exalted him as being divine. Uh, second, he's going to kill the swine. So in other words, he's going to slaughter all that's impure to Islam. Um, and then third, he's going to end the jizya. Does anybody remember what jizya was? We talked about this last week. Do you guys remember? No? Jizya was the, the, uh, the tax that was imposed upon non-Muslims. So remember, uh, during the raids, you had some choices. You either convert to Islam, um, you get killed, or you pay the jizya. Well, so when Jesus returns at the end times, he will demolish the jizya. So according to this text and according to another authoritative Islamic text, and again, this is not what I'm saying. This is what Muslims are saying, Islamic scholars are saying. Uh, we learn that Jesus will lead the Islamic army to slaughter all the Christians and the Jews. And, uh, and again, the uh, Muslim scholars will argue that the jizya will end not in the sense that Jesus is going to come back and nullify the tax as in, you know, we're not going to tax non-Muslims anymore. He's going to come back and he's going to slaughter all the Muslims and, or excuse me, all the Christians and the Jews. Therefore, he's going to end the jizya because there's nobody to tax. Does that make sense? Yes? Okay. Um, again, this is kind of bizarre stuff that we typically don't talk about. So, I'm, you know, as I'm sharing this stuff, I'm trying to, trying to make sure that everybody's following me and, and um, um, you guys are tracking with me. So anyway, what's the point of all this? Make sure you're talking about the right Jesus. Um, as you're talking with Muslims, um, be, t be sure to talk about Christ as being the loving um, uh, Messiah that we know him to be. He's not. He's not Aisa. Um, and then finally, the last uh, point in this sub lecture, um, I need to speed up. Um, so most Muslims are Sunni Muslims. 
And I don't have time to talk about the Islamic civil war that happened shortly after the death of Muhammad, which is where Sunni Muslims separated from Shiite Muslims. Uh, bottom line, um, what, I, what I want to communicate here is that most Muslims are Sunni Muslims. So generally speaking, you can assume that when you do meet a Muslim, they're a Sunni Muslim. So what does that mean? Uh, what does it mean to be Sunni? To be a Sunni Muslim means to be a follower of the Sunnah. So Sunnah, Sunni Muslim, you guys hear the, the correlation there. So the more observant a Muslim wants to be, uh, the more he's going to emulate the way of Muhammad. So remember, Islam is more than just a religion. It's a way of life. It's a culture. It's the way you act. and It permeates all of life. So remember, this is where the hadiths, the reported sayings of Muhammad come in. So how Muhammad dressed, what he said, how he kept his beard, how he sat, how he spoke, how he picked his teeth, um, how he treated his wives, how often he had sexual intercourse, etc., um, all of this and more comes to bear on the Muslim um, because there is no detail too small or too intricate to not emulate. So, again, the more rigid of a Muslim that you want to be, the more deeply committed follower of Muslim you want to be, the more you're going to emulate um, Muhammad. So, Muhammad uh, in 6th and 7th century Arabia to the Muslim psyche, um, and again, I'm speaking generally here, of course, there are, there are differences among Muslims, um, but... Um, um, but it, in, in their mind, the way Muhammad lived is not something, you know, they don't think of him as like, oh, well, that was just 6th and 7th century Arabia. That's how we lived back. That's how people lived back then. No, that's something that continues on forever to the Muslim psyche. So, again, the sunnah of Muhammad, the way of Muhammad is to be emulated for all time. Um, okay, sub-lecture number two, the five pillars of Islam. So this is not found necessarily within the Islamic text. So you're not going to find something within the authoritative Islamic text saying the five pillars of Islam. Um, this, is, this is how Muslims like to define their religion. Um, and again, uh, this is because there is so much within Islam. There are so many scriptures, so much that you could possibly do that um, Muslims need a way to kind of condense things, right? To kind of make things make sense to people. So... Um, da, 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 da. So what are these five pillars? So pillar number one is the shahada. So this is the Islamic profession of faith. Um, to use a Christian example, if repentance and faith in Christ is the means by which somebody becomes a Christian, the shahada is how somebody becomes a Muslim. Um, so uh, the mere verbal recitation of the shahada, I'll share it with you guys in just a minute, um, is enough to make someone a convert to Islam, regardless of their heart. So merely saying it verbally makes somebody a Muslim. Um, so what is the Shahada? I believe that there is no deity but God. And I bear witness that Muhammad is the messenger of God. That's it. So um, that's the Shahada. Uh, pillar number two, the Salat. So I'm going to keep going and I wish I had time for questions. I, I plan to have questions, but I need to race through the material first. Uh, pillar number two, uh, the Salat. So this refers to the five mandatory prayers to Allah. Uh, I didn't plan on sharing this, but this is really, really interesting. So uh, side story here. Um, so while Muhammad was in Mecca, uh, we are told um, that uh, there was uh, a horse, a winged horse that came to Muhammad. This winged horse was named Barak. Um, and then this winged horse, uh, Muhammad flew all the way from Mecca. He flew all the way to Jerusalem. And, uh, and he landed uh, where the Wailing Wall is today in Jerusalem. And so this is why you also have several different um, Islamic uh, um, holy places in Jerusalem today, because this is apparently where Muhammad um, flew on a winged horse from Mecca to Jerusalem. And he ascended all the way up into the seventh heaven. He met 
David and Jesus and Moses, etc. And, uh, and he was arguing with God and petitioning. God was saying that Muslims should pray 50 times. And then um, Muhammad kept asking God, well, no, can we do 45? Can we do 40, 35, and all the way down to five? So anyway, I had, didn't plan on sharing that. And I hope that makes sense. It is very bizarre, but yeah, five. So that's why Muslims pray five times a day. Um, so in every mosque, uh, five times a day, someone gets on a mock- microphone and calls the ummah uh, to the mosque to pray. And note there's a difference between the call to prayer and then the prayer themselves. So the, the, the prayer itself, you know, you might see it on TV or, you know, maybe in person. Um, you know, they do a set of rituals and they bow down and prostrate, etc. So that's different from the, the call to prayer. The call to prayer, you guys have heard before, it's Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. And then they'll say, uh, which means God is greater. And then they'll recite the Shahada, which we talked about. I profess that. Um, that there is only one God, Muhammad is his messenger. So that's the call to prayer. Um, so because of, the, um, because of uh, Muhammad's flight to Jerusalem, and you guys can Google this, it's a really fascinating story. Uh, because of uh, Muhammad's flight on a winged horse from Mecca to Jerusalem, um, the, the prayers used to be directed towards Jerusalem. Uh, but then the people believed that Muhammad kind of lied about the story, like, this is so bizarre, you're saying you flew to, to Jerusalem overnight on a winged horse, um, that uh, Muhammad changed that, and then he ended up saying, no, it's okay, never mind, instead of praying to Jerusalem, pray to Mecca, which is where the Kaaba is. Um, so anyway, when they pray, um, they pray towards uh, facing Mecca, and uh, the more often you pray, the more favor you earn from God. Um, so you'll see some devout Muslims have a brown spot on their head, um, this is uh, uh, like kind of like a scar on their forehead. So this is to signify that they pray so often. Remember, they're, they're prostrating them, themselves down before the ground. And, um, and it's to show that, uh, that they pray a lot. So it's a religious badge of honor. Uh, pillar number three, the zakat. So this is the command for, for almsgiving. Um, so while usually only uh, 2.5% of one's income, um, the more you give, the more favor you receive from God. Um, also, think of this as universal giving. So it's not so much like what we do here at Grace Anglican or what most Christians do when they give. It's given directly to the local church. Um, but rather, this uh, zakat is oftentimes given to other places within the country. Sometimes it's given um, all the way back to, uh, to the Middle East to, um, to, to build a mosque or do some kind of uh, good work there. So uh, pillar number four, fasting. So this is done during the month of Ramadan. Uh, so remember from the, from the story that we just read earlier, so Ramadan is important. Why? Why is Ramadan important? Anybody? Miguel, were you going to say something? No. No. So Ramadan. There is a power of night, and that, I think that's probably what you're referring to. But Ram, and I think, the, if I'm, unless I'm mistaken, the power of night is, is in the month of Ramadan. But Ramadan refers to the month in which... Uh, Gabriel appeared to Muhammad and received his first, uh, his first revelation. But anyway, so during the month of Ramadan, um, that's when Muslims, uh, they fast. Um, because Islam follows the lunar calendar, um, so for example, uh, this year in 2020, it was from April 23rd to May 23rd. It shifts around every year, so it's not like every May it happens. It shifts around throughout the year. Um, again, it shifts around. I'm not too familiar with the lunar calendar, but uh, yeah, probably, yeah. Um, so during the month of Ramadan, so Muslims, they eat two large meals in the day. So one before sunrise and one after sunset. Um, so no food is eaten. No water is drunk. Sexual intercourse is not permitted. There's, there's several different rules in which you're not, not allowed to do during the day while the sun is up. 
Um, some Muslims even spit throughout the day during the month of Ramadan because you don't want to swallow your own saliva. Is that, so it's, it's extreme sense of fast, fasting. Excuse me. There's ways to get around the fasting. Um, so if you're pregnant, if you're on your uh, ladies, if, if you're on your menstrual cycle, um, this is them saying this again. Um, if you're traveling or if you give enough money, you can kind of excuse yourself from that. Uh, pillar number five, uh, the Hajj. So this is performing the pilgrimage to Mecca, uh, which again, modern day Saudi Arabia. So circumambulating, um, circumambulating, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, around the Kaaba. So you're, you're circulating around the Kaaba and touching the black stone that Gabriel alongside uh, Abraham and Ishmael laid down at the cornerstone of the Kaaba. Um, so the Hajj is a great honor for a Muslim. So at least once during your life, you're supposed to travel, regardless of wherever you live in the world, to the Hajj or to uh, the Kaaba and then perform the Hajj. And then once you, uh, once you complete the Hajj, you're referred to, if you're a man, you're referred to as Hajj or Hajja if you're, uh, if you're a lady. Uh, okay, I've got seven minutes. Uh, let, me, let me race through this real quick and then, and then we'll, we'll have some time for... Um, for questions. Um, so sub-lecture number three, tips when sharing the gospel with Muslims. Um, so number one, talk to Muslims. Um, you would be surprised how many Muslims go through life here in America without ever having a conversation with an American. With an American. This is to our shame. Um, you talk- mean an American or a Christian? Uh, I'm saying both, really. Uh, but to Americans, really. I mean, I can tell you stories um, where... Um, you know, a Muslim has been living here for years and everybody just kind of ignores them. And they've never had a conversation with an American, let alone a Christian. Um, so talk to Muslims, say hello to them, um, engage in conversation. I promise you that they'll be taken aback when you're talking to them in, in a good way. They're going to be excited. Uh, remember also that there's a difference between Islam and Muslim. So everything that we've been talking about previously is talking about Islam. And remember that there's a huge difference between Islam and Muslims. Don't confuse the two. Uh, Muslims are some of the funniest and nicest people in the world. Ashley and I can attest to that. Um, It's a shame that a lot of uh, Americans and Christians, um, to be more particular, are too scared to talk to them. So you can go from meeting a Muslim for the first time, uh, a complete stranger, to all of a sudden hugging them and then calling one another Habibi, if 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 both of you guys are men. Um, So um, Habibi is kind of like it's a very affectionate term that, uh, um, that they refer to one another. In. Um, okay, so number two, don't be afraid to ask your Muslim friend what they believe. So here in America, we tend to not discuss politics and religion. Um, in the Arab mind, this is, this is the exact opposite. You talk about this, these things all the time. So to them, it's kind of weird that we don't want to talk to them about that stuff. Um, so it's, it's weird to them. But if you ask them, hey, what do you believe? Uh, you know, what, what, what's on your mind? They're, they're going to talk to you until you stop listening to them. Um, so ask them what they believe. Uh, tip number three, um, it's not an Arab culture to return a question back. So, for example, hey, Khalid, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. You know, there's no, how are you? You know, asking the question back uh, at them. So that's not typically uh, part, of, part of the culture. Um, or, again, if you were to ask them, hey, what do you believe? Oh, I believe this, 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 and this. But they don't, you know, ask you, well, what do you believe? So, uh, so, so don't, don't interpret that as if they're being rude or they don't want to ask you what you believe. It's just not part of the culture. So, um, 
So uh, da, 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 don't, uh, don't interpret an Arab Muslim's lack of reciprocal questioning as rudeness. And notice I said Arab Muslim uh, because I'm, I'm focusing mostly on Arab Muslims. So there, there are differences within, within Muslims, obviously. I'm making room for that. Um, and then uh, Arabs, uh, uh, excuse me, Arab Muslims appreciate boldness. So be bold. Uh, tell them what you believe. Talk to them. And uh, don't, don't, uh, don't be shy. Uh, number four, make it abundantly clear that, uh, that being American does not correlate with being a Christian. Um, so remember that Islam is more than just a religion. It's a culture. It's a language. It's a way of life. Um, so it's not surprising that when a lot of Muslims think about Christians, they think of Americans. So the two are equal in their mind. Um, to the Muslim psyche, to be Christian uh, brings to mind Hollywood, um, sexual immorality, American politics. So this is what Muslims think about when, you, when they hear the word Christian. So the West is associated with Christianity. Um, so make sure that you're abundantly clear that being an American does not correlate with Christianity. Number five, there are different kinds of Islam. Um, so there's going to be a huge difference between uh, an Arab Sunni from Egypt, um, an Iraqi Shiai. Um, there's going to be a huge difference between a, a non-Arab Muslim convert from Southeast Asia um, or the casual American Muslim um, who decides to, be, uh, to become a Muslim or thinks that it's cool to wear a hijab and, and, uh, and becomes a Muslim. Um, so remember that the, the history of Islam... Uh, that we've talked about the lectures last week and today, um, this this is what we're told by the Islamic, the authoritative Islamic sources. But just because they're they're authoritative Islamic sources, doesn't mean that Muslims are going to know about them, um, let alone even accept them. So so um, so anyway, just just be wary of that. Number six, uh, never insult Muhammad. Uh, remember that uh, uh, what I've said from the beginning. So we reach out to others um, out of compassion. Um, so. Um, if anything is to be offensive, let it be the gospel. Uh, don't let it be you. Um, you're never going to win every, anybody over by being a jerk. And, uh, and when referring to Muhammad, you can simply refer to him as your prophet. Um, and uh, just a side note here. Remember that um, most Muslims are just, they're just born into a Muslim family. So, um, so they didn't necessarily decide to become a Muslim. That's just their life. That's their way of being. And uh, um, we need to have compassion on them. Um, so, um, yeah, they need Christ just as much as you do. Number seven, stay on one subject at a time. So it's not uncommon for a Muslim to jump around. Um, so try to be focused, try to be targeted. Um, if they want to jump around to another subject, say, that's a good question. Let's talk about that next time and then continue the conversation so that you're actually having an engaging conversation with them. Um, and then lastly, be encouraged. So God is doing a great work among Muslims. Um, many Muslims are becoming disillusioned and coming to faith in Christ. And uh, remember what I've said from the beginning. Your work is not to save anyone. God does the heavy lifting. Your job is to be an instrument and to share the gospel and, uh, and let God do his work through his word and through his Holy Spirit. Yes, sorry. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, um, for the opportunity to learn about Islam. Lord, we pray that you would give us a heart for Muslims. Lord, we pray that you would help us to reach, to reach Muslims in compassion. Help us, Lord, not to be afraid of Islam afraid of Muslims, um, but Lord, that we would reach them again with compassion. I pray that that would be the, the underlining thing that, that, uh, that motivates all of our work, uh, that they would come to faith in you. So Lord, we pray that you would do a good work, and we trust that you are already doing that. In Jesus' name, amen.